Hello, everyone. You're listening to Digital Builder, a podcast brought to you by Autodesk, made for construction professionals who want to hear from those on the forefront of construction technology. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Each episode will feature a conversation with a construction industry leader. Together, we'll dig in on themes related to connected construction and discuss where the future of the construction industry is headed. Now let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 14 of Digital Builder. I'm your host, Eric Thomas. On today's show, we'll be diving into the wild world of artificial intelligence and machine learning. For the first part of our conversation, we'll be discussing the current state of AI and machine learning in construction, highlighting examples of real-world use cases where this technology is being used today. For the second half of the discussion, we'll talk about where the future is headed with AI and machine learning. This week, I'm joined by Josh Kanner, founder and CEO of SmartVid.io, and Pat Keeney, Director of Product Management Intelligence in Autodesk Construction R&D. Thanks for joining me on the show today. I'm really looking forward to learning more about some exciting technology today. But before we jump in, I'd love to learn a little bit more about your experiences in construction and what work you focused on today. Josh, how about you go first? Thanks, Eric. And thanks for the opportunity to be a part of this podcast today. It's a topic that's really near and dear to me. I've been in construction tech for now, geez, it's almost it's over 16 years since the end of 2004. The reason this topic is near and dear to me is because I've been a part of this industry as it's gone from paper-based processes in the field and not much digitization once you left the trailer to now iPads and reality capture and a whole bunch of ways to get more and more digital digital data. So with 2005 to 2012, I was co-founder with a guy named Adam Omansky of a company called Vela Systems. What we did is we brought mobility to construction. We actually used tablet PCs back in those days. I think, Eric, you said you remember those. It's a good test of how old you are, I think, if you remember tablet PCs. We built quality control, safety, commissioning, a whole bunch of field workflows, including 2D and 3D document access and viewing in the field. That product grew from 2005 to 2012 and was acquired by Autodesk and is now Autodesk BIM 360 field. So this journey of digitization now leads to SmartVid because there's so much data now coming from the field in construction and so much data being digitized in the back end. The question for you know this decade isn't how do you digitize construction and improve workflow in the field? The question is, what do you do with all that digital data? And that's where we've come in at SmartVid and applied AI to make sense of the data and highlight areas that might be areas of risk for projects going forward. So great to be here and thanks for the opportunity. I love that point you make about the change in how we're gathering that data too. It's it's definitely not that conversation of digitization. It's like, okay, like we have so much data now that like, where do we start? And I think a lot of our customers here at Autodesk and then, you know, just the industry at large really struggles with the taking action now that they have everything in hand. So Pat, can you give a little bit of background about yourself? Sure. So I have been in the software industry through I would say what I would consider four major disruptive transformations, starting with the PC transformation. The next one was the internet. After that, mobility. And then finally, I think we're now, because of mobility and the internet and the cloud and all the data that Josh just talked about, the big wave that we're in right now, I think, is AI and machine learning and predictive analytics. So I've had 20 years focusing in internet cloud solutions, 12 years in construction tech at Autodesk. I joined Autodesk and led product management for BIM 360 before there was a BIM 360. And then about five or so years ago, we realized that we were collecting a lot of data on behalf of our customers through all the digitization, but we weren't really giving them, helping them realize the value of that data. So I started an initiative which became Construction IQ which was really around trying to understand what we can learn from the data and what information we can surface to customers to help them be more efficient and effective on their projects. I now lead product management with a charter to apply intelligence across the Autodesk Construction Cloud through a combination of both predictive analytics like we have in Construction IQ, but also through all kinds of process automation. 
So I think we have an exciting group of people here, ignoring myself. So of course, my guests, you're, you both have such robust backgrounds and are just in the weeds on such cool stuff right now. So this is going to be a really cool conversation. And I'm very confident that at a minimum, I'm going to learn a whole lot as we you know unpack the joys of AI and machine learning. So let's begin with the present. I think there are so many examples of where advanced technologies are being applied in the AEC world before. Before we get ahead of ourselves, though, let's start with some basics. And I'd like to take a moment to clearly define the terms artificial intelligence and machine learning to set a baseline for our listeners during our conversation. Josh, can you take a stab at this one? Sure, sure. I'm happy to. I Usually in a presentation, I'm waving my hands as I describe these and making all kinds of shapes. So for the podcast, I'll do my best. There's basically a hierarchy where AI is the broader category, which refers to any kind of machine with intelligence. According to some book definitions, it technically doesn't mean the machine is self-aware like the Terminator or something or similar to human intelligence. It just means the machine is capable of solving a specific problem. Within that bigger box of AI, there's a smaller box of machine learning, which applies to a specific kind of AI that can learn by itself from data. As it gets more data, it gets better. It actually learns, and this is what people are to associate now with machine learning as a whole and with AI as a whole. It's learning as it goes. There's an even smaller box within that, which is what has brought machine learning really to the fore over the last 10 years. It's called deep learning. Deep learning, so if you think of these boxes as being nested inside of each other, deep learning actually burst on the scene in 2011 when a deep learning approach won competition that's actually hosted for competition amongst AIs to recognize imagery. It's called ImageNet. And now deep learning approaches have won every year since 2011. Just as a kind of geeky fact, the reason deep learning is now possible actually owes itself to the gaming world, the kind of computation that's necessary to do these deep learning models. It's extremely memory intensive and the kinds of graphics cards that were invented for gaming and, and the costs driven down through gaming have now enabled deep learning to be possible in the cloud and in a whole bunch of different places. So deep learning as a concept has been around since the 70s. It's just now finally possible because the computational power has caught up to the concept, the, the sort of the needs, the power draining needs of the concept. Lastly, the whole concept of AI, I think it's interesting to think about through the lens of what it does. Think of it as falling out underneath categories of human perception, right? So there's certain kinds of AI or machine learning you can think of as computer vision, which is like a computer learning to recognize objects or scenes and images. There's another kind of machine learning called NLP or natural language processing, which is a computer learning to read and understand concepts. There's AI for listening and understanding speech, which is called ASR or automatic speech recognition. And now, as Pat was talking about, there's even advanced predictive systems that use AI that can learn across a whole bunch of different data types, kind of taking as input, which we'll talk about later, structured data, as well as unstructured data, like what comes out of image recognition and can be an input to these predictive models. So I think at the end of the day, there's been a crazy explosion of deep learning, machine learning, and then at the top line, you know, AI over the last 10 years for a variety of reasons. Ultimately, I think we can all blame computer gamers for helping with this transition. That's not the first time I've heard computer gaming having such an interesting and direct impact on technology that wraps up into the construction industry. So it's kind of fun to continue seeing that overlap. And Josh, thank you so much for, you know, just really reviewing what these are, because I think with that baseline, our listeners are going to have a much better sense for what to expect for the rest of this conversation. But can you tell me, like, how do these tools work? How do you train an AI to form a task or create a system where you can leverage machine learning on a construction project? And I think the uncertainty about how these tools function may be one reason why there are skeptics about, you know, the real world application. Yeah, I mean, to demystify this, we carry the, these kinds of AI in our pocket every day. You know, in our phone, we have computer vision, we have text recognition, NLP and speech all working. Speech is a common punching bag, right? Like it's it's always tough to get Siri to recognize. But computer vision, I think, is a good example. If you have an iPhone or an Android phone, if you open up photo search and type in a word like wine or beer, you'll see photos come up that may have those things in them. If you do what I do, which is take pictures of certain beers or wines that I like. The reason that Apple and Google can actually bring up that photo so quickly is because they've 
trained an AI, a deep learning model to actually see those things in your photos. To your question about how it works, it's all about that training. For deep learning, it starts with data about what it is you're trying to get the particular model to learn and understand. It's not rules-based. It's In other words, sometimes people think, oh, well, you're telling this computer that, well, if it's a cylinder and it's shiny and it's, you know, roughly... 10 inches tall, if it's a tall boy, then it's a can of beer. But that's not the way it works. What you do is you feed it, you feed the model a lot of data. This is where the machine learning approach comes in. And it actually learns what a can of beer looks like to make it specific to construction. In our context, we just built a model for what's called stairway health, which is a metric that looks at whether or not stairways on your job site have a whole bunch of different aspects that can contribute to slip, trip, and fall risk, including does the stairway have guardrails? So we have this data set that we've built of construction images. We take those, we do some augmentation, create some more data, and then you train models that can recognize not a can of beer, although it can do that too, but you know, does the stairway actually have a guardrail? First of all, what is a stairway? And then does it have a guardrail? And then the cool thing is, the amazing thing is, is that it starts to learn by itself over time. If you've got the prepped data right, and then you can feed it back what is and isn't working, you get this model at the end that when you feed it a picture, it knows if it's got a stairway in it, and it knows if it's got a guardrail on it, the image goes in and the specific classification comes out, the assessment comes out. So you get information about that image, whether it's beer on your phone or a classification of stairway health from your job site. So that training portion is so interesting to me. And, you know, I jokingly, I thought that, you know, when I was logging into a new system and it told me to identify the crosswalk, that that was where all those information points were coming. But, you know, I'm happy to see that, you know, the AI and the, the machine learning tools are able to, you know, qualify this on their own. Pat, I'm interested in hearing a bit more about why this doesn't mean that the next, you know, Terminator is coming. And I'd like it if we could take this as a chance to, you know, shake away myths like that, that commonly come up when we're discussing this type of tech. So are there any misconceptions that you'd really like to unveil to, you know, push those aside as we dig a bit deeper in the world of AI and machine learning? Yeah, sure. You know, it's funny that you talk about the Terminator because like I always refer back to Minority Report and you realize that there are things in those movies that were quite prescient, right? In which some aspects of what we would have considered science fiction 10, 15 years ago, we're using the technology today. So I'd say one myth is that AI in our buzzwords or that they are science fiction. And the reality is that we use AI and machine learning every single day in our lives. Like Josh talked about your phone. You know, I look at my pets all the time. Every day I'm surprised that when I search for, you know, the different dogs in my life, Apple has done a great job of understanding breeds, you know, so they keep improving that AI. Certainly, you know, we all are familiar with recommendation engines and, and Netflix and Amazon. So it's everywhere. And it's also being used every single day on construction projects right now. So Josh is talking about safety is a great application, but a couple of other examples, uh, people are using AI to find the right subcontractors during procurement. We're using AI to automatically generate submittal logs by looking at plans and specs. And we're also using AI to automatically identify root causes of RFIs to continuously identify high-risk issues, tracking progress, predicting safety incidents, et cetera. This stuff is happening literally every single day in construction. So AI is alive and well, and it's not science fiction, and it's with us today. Doesn't mean it's the Terminator. So uh, that's the next myth, right? The next myth is that AI is going to, the robots are all coming to get us and they're all coming to get our jobs. I think I'm not worried about that in my lifetime. You know, maybe some of the younger people on the call, maybe, but the reality in construction today is that there is a significant shortage of skilled workers to meet all the demand. And that's one of the biggest problems that we hear from all of our construction customers. So what AI can do to help this problem is automate really time-consuming, tedious, and error-prone tasks by continuously analyzing large quantities of data. And it can also do this in a way that makes your the workers that you do have and the team that you do have on projects, giving them superpowers. So they're much more efficient and much more effective. So I, I really think that, you know, over the next five to 10 years, AI and construction is going to be all about augmenting people, making people more efficient, making them smarter, making their lives better. 
And definitely, we're not going to be replacing people in construction in, in that time frame. Pat's right on in what she's saying. This augment, don't replace mentality is really important for people to keep in mind. One thing I'd add is AI isn't always right. Like, I think that's part of this. It's not going to be the Terminator dispelling that myth. You know, I'm reminded of a joke, which is what's the best place on the internet to bury a dead body? Eric or Pat, do you have an answer? I do not. <laughs> no. no, no experience with that. Okay, <laughs> well, the the answer is the second page of Google search results. Perfect. <laughs> right? Whoever goes there, no one goes to the second page of Google search results. And it, it's a joke, but it illustrates a key point. I mean, Google is using AI to actually return search results to us, but even there, it's ranking those results. So I think it's really key in construction because a lot of folks come from an engineering background and there's a really importance around tolerance and low error rates. There are error rates in AI. There's error rates actually for humans. That ImageNet competition I talked about before, actually, it's humans versus machines. The human error rate is 5% on images, identifying them closely. Oh, and by the way, Pat, ImageNet has a whole deep category set for dog breeds. Like it goes like <laughs> literally hundreds deep. It's a part of how they train the models. So the end of the day, the point I would add here is that it's not about error rate. It's about does the AI help us run our business better? And can we surface those areas of insights, the workflow automation, the pieces where it can actually help us move move forward with confidence because there are pieces of the AI that you will be, have more confidence in than others. And it's those can help move the business forward. We're going to talk about predictive models later. You know, the whole concept here is, you know, if you can be 51% right, that's better than 50-50. And those kind of cumulative gains really compound over time. Josh, I was going to add that, you know, if you can find 75% of your photos People fixate on, oh, then what's happening to the other 25? But it's like, yesterday, you couldn't find any. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. These uh, these measurable gains are, are most certainly making a difference. And, and Josh, I've got to say, you brought the first joke to the table on Digital Builder, and I'd say it's a top tier one. So feature guests, if you are listening right now and you've got a joke, just make sure you know the bar has been set high. And so I'm appreciative of that. But I think especially the labor focus that you, you mentioned a minute ago is so important. And it's so important to consider as we you know evaluate these different types of technologies. I think a lot of people are tired of talking about the labor shortage, even though it's you know terribly important to our industry to address. But remembering that leveraging technology like this is not going to take your job away. It lets you focus on the parts of the job that humans are better at. Like It lets you focus on the things you're good at and the things you want to do. And it starts to save time. And especially if you're resource constrained, like finding ways to you know facilitate better ways of working is, is such an obvious thing to take a look at and really evaluate as you look to you know next level your construction site. So I appreciate you you know unveiling some of that because it's, it's important for people to take note of. So are there any other reasons why these types of technologies really matter in the AAC world that we haven't talked about. And Josh, I know you've shared a couple already, but you know, are there any other real life examples that might really resonate with our listeners about where AI and machine learning are showing up on construction sites across the world today? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Let's take another real world example. It actually ties into to the uh, scenario that Pat was just describing, where you can now untap or tap into rather whole new sources of data. In particular, in the area of safety today, safety observations are done by people, right? They've got safety managers and field personnel walk the job. They're identifying positive behaviors. They're identifying areas for improvement or risks. So what if you could train a set of computer vision models to identify these situations just like a person could do, but now you can do it on a massive scale. You don't have to have people walking around. You can actually have the machine help you understand what those scenarios are. So now you're able to get hundreds of additional observations a week, thousands a year from models designed to look for things as simple as like, hey, or is our 100% glove compliance? policy being followed to things as complex as like, hey, is the scaffolding set up properly? So we've actually we've built almost 100 of these models by tapping into photo data from systems like Autodesk BIM 360 really highlights the importance of industry specific data. It's not like beer or wine, you know, Google and Apple can't really detect these things. They don't they don't have that data. And then we marry up that data with safety experts who help create the training data sets that help define what our AI can see. These automated observations, and this is a super super critical point, Eric. They're used in the same way as human observations. It's not a gotcha tool. It's not like the AI is trying to slap people's hands. It's actually another source of opportunities for engagement 
for the safety team, for the project manager, for this general or senior superintendent with their crew. It gives them opportunities to engage on safety delivered into their inbox, identifying positive and risky situations before it becomes a problem. We're seeing our customers, they're calling it like it's more safety with less paperwork, which makes everybody benefit at the end of the day. I like that because it's it's such an important framework and focus for our industry. Like obviously safety is the, the most important thing on any job site. Like everybody needs needs to get home safe at the end of the day. And when we bring tools to the table that, you know, help people empower others with less intent, like with less time spent and less energy, it's it's even more likely that people are going to pay attention to these tools and adopt them. And hopefully at the end of the day, you've improved your safety, you know, and there's business reasons for this too. Like you bump your EMR rating, all kinds of other fun stuff that helps you win more work. And at the end of the day, it's just terribly important. Pat, is there anything else from your perspective that we should make sure to note as we, you know, focus on the joys of AI and machine learning? So, you know, we're talking about like specific ways where AI can help you accomplish things that you really want to do, but that you really just don't get around to. I'll, I'll give you a great example. So RFIs are a really important part of the construction management process. What creates an RFI typically is a question. So something's not clear, something's not complete. And when you have questions out on the job site, that can create delays because if you're sitting around waiting for an answer versus doing your work, you know, that's not what you want a crew to be doing on a construction site. So, you know, we, we set out to do some research to understand RFIs and understand root cause of RFIs. And a couple of interesting things along the way, we looked at about six different RFI systems that are out there, all kinds of software systems, not just ours. They virtually all had a field where you can identify a root cause for an RFI. And in very rare cases, was there any data input into those fields? So <laughs> I that's clearly the, not important. <laughs> I, well, you know, people are so busy. It, they want to know about root cause, but they really just don't have time to think about it. So their intention is there, but I call it the field of dreams because nobody actually fills them out and the data is empty, right? So we looked at it and said, well, what if we could just create that data for them, right? We can analyze the RFIs, we can classify them, we can categorize them, and we can find the root causes. And um, so we created the NLP models that Josh talked about earlier to do that. And we found and, and validated that, you know, 70% of RFIs have a root cause in design and documentation errors and omissions. And guess what? When there's lawsuits, if you look at warranty and lawsuits down the road, errors and omissions in design is one of the big reasons. And so we start looking at that and saying, let's try to figure out what's causing these questions, which can lead to really bad outcomes. And let's try to push those upstream and prevent those from happening in the first place. So now if somebody enters an RFI, they don't have to have everybody remember to fill out what's the root cause to this RFI and stop and think. And that's just a totally different way of thinking when they're trying to get a task done. But we can create that data for them and they can see those patterns and they can figure out where are we wasting time and, and address it right up front. So I think there's a lot of places where AI is actually doing things that people have wanted to do. They know it's the right thing to do, but it's just too hard and it's just too time consuming. And those are some perfect applications where AI can step in and say, hey, you know what? Like we can do that for you. And like the little elves in the shoemaker, we can do it while you're sleeping and it's just going to be there for you. So I think that's just one more example of, you know, a really positive way AI can help our customers get their jobs done. So a common thread that, that came out of what you just shared and, and a big part of what we've talked about, you know, for the duration of this conversation comes back to data. And I'd like to focus directly on that theme for a moment. And like, honestly, I, I should probably put a swear jar on my desk for every time I say data and throw a quarter in it because it's going to be the best uh, route to retirement savings because <laughs> I say the word every day, all day long. It's such a big part of, you know, the work that I do in the conversations that I have on the show. But I'd like to start a little bit with how our industry is currently handling handling what is now such a large volume of project data that's being generated every day in the field. And how are construction's data-driven processes being improved by leveraging machine learning and AI? 
Josh, can you share some thoughts here? Sure, sure. Yeah, there's an FMI study that we talk about that says that 96% of construction data goes unused once it's captured. So it definitely points to the fact that there is a lot of data and we're, as an industry, still figuring out how to use it. If we take safety again, there's a massive amount of digital data that exists in systems today, which I can tell you was not there when we started Vela Systems back in 2005. It was all stuck on paper, you know, went to a file drawer to, to die. But of more and more of that is now available digitally. And beyond that, there's daily reports with manpower logs. You've got field observations. You've got employee time card data, locations of jobs that you can use to do weather lookups, more and more and more. And now you layer on top of that, that structured data, you start layering on the data that you can be getting from AI, like the automated visual observations I talked about before, which are generating hundreds and thousands of observations that you never had, you start to get a bunch of different sources of, you know, you can think of it as signal, right? There's the whole concept of signal to noise, right? So this is signal around what's happening on your jobs. And if you can connect those, feed them into a system that can then model what that signal actually is indicating. So in the case of safety, it can lead to incidents. It can lead to near misses. If you start being able to combine all that stuff together, which wasn't possible before, you can now start creating business insights, predictive insights, which Pat has talked about as well. And you're using all of the signal to be able to not just drown in it, but to actually use it to help propel you to where you should be focused because it's taking all that input, the data you have, photos, data or not, and using to help you predict risk and focus, focus where you should pay attention to it. And that's the part I'm really excited about. It's we're now at that tipping point where instead of gathering data and drowning in it, we're actually surfing it and using it to go to the right place, land on the beach where we should based on what the predictions are telling us. So with this massive lake of data that we've you know, now accumulated in the construction industry, I'd like to talk about data privacy for a And we see in the news all the time that about new data-focused challenges. And I'd like to hear specifically how this looks for the AEC industry. Pat, can you tell us a bit more about data privacy in construction, specifically as it relates to AI and machine learning? So every company that works in AI has a responsibility, I think, to take privacy seriously and to take data ethics seriously. But I do think it's also important that you have to look at each company and each situation individually. At Autodesk, we're a product company. Our focus is applying ML and AI to deliver better products and user experiences for customers that make their work lives better. We obviously conform to GDPR and have strict privacy policies and practices. So I think, you know, I, again, I can I can speak for myself and put it in the context of what's going on in the broader world right now and how people are thinking about data. But it is an important question, and it's a question that our customers should be thinking of and they should be asking, you know, from their software partners and really understanding, you know, what the business model is and what the intention really is. Yeah, I, I would add three quick points there. First, you can actually do a lot with anonymized data. So getting involved with AI doesn't mean you have to share, as Pat was just describing. You know, there's there's not much personal information there. For example, we're working with a large customer in Europe right now that's shared construction data that goes all the way back to 2003 with us, but they've removed all the personally identifiable information because there's actually really no, so there's no way to trace it back to an individual and there's no need to. You can actually be looking at making incident predictions without knowing you know, who it actually was. Pat mentioned GDPR, the, the European Data Privacy Standard. We had to go through extensive approvals at that company. It's a very large construction firm because of GDPR. And we could comply because exactly that, like there's not personal data in there. So that's point one. Point two is computer vision. If you're looking at images, we've taken a really hard stance here. We don't do facial recognition and we never will. I've actually blogged on this. You can see our position on it around the ethics of it. I 100% agree with Pat. It's really important important to know what your vendor's stance is on these items. And we've, we've written about that extensively. The last point is that I think this is really important. Technology on its own really does nothing. I think it's it's like it needs to be a part of a business policy, a business approach. It's the classic people process technology triad here for actually creating business change. It's very easy to think about AI on its own as a technology, but it needs to be as a supported by and reinforced by a policy, by a process. You need to make it clear as a company that individuals will not be identified, that they won't be called out, that it won't be used negatively. And the companies 
who use AI are a, and the executives that are part of making those decisions are a key part of the solution to make sure that everybody feels comfortable that this these technologies are used to help everybody improve, not to single people out and punish them. All right. So I'm so thankful that you've shared, you know, such a robust overview of, you know, how we're keeping people safe and with these technologies and and that there's no real gotchas coming down the line as far as, you know, identifying things that people wouldn't want to be shared. We're not, you know, looking for that personal identifying information. So I think a lot of what you've just spoken about should assuage some concerns that listeners might have about the, you know, more devious side of what artificial intelligence might bring to the table. And of course, I think we firmly confirm that, you know, the Terminator isn't going to burst out on the scene when the spot robot is walking around on our project site or, you know, something other more tragic. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. And of course, we've done a great job of showing where AI and machine learning are being leveraged in the industry right at this very moment. And I think we've made it clear that the future is here, like now for a lot of these technologies in ways that people might not expect. So I'm glad we've kicked some of these myths out the door associated with these technologies. And it's time to jump to the future. And so for those that are excited about what we've learned about today and what you've both shared, let's look at the future state of construction technology. Where should they start if they want to start leveraging these tools on their projects? Josh, can you give us some insights here? So it's really not hard to get started. If you're an Autodesk customer, for example, you can use our pre-built integrations to BIM 360 and start analyzing data that you're gathering already. It actually takes less than 90 seconds to get the integration set up and the data start flowing. The data can be used to generate some of the analytics like we were talking about on the safety side, and then also to take a look and understand what the scope is of your data. We call it a health check. So you can see if you might be a good fit for predictive safety modeling at your company. So it's really, it's with the advances that have been made over the last 10 years in terms of interoperability and systems like platforms, rather like Autodesk Forge, you can connect up and the data can start flowing quickly. I think one of the key things though, just going back to what you said is how do you start using technology on your projects is that with AI, it's not just about a project, it's about a company. It's about being able to adopt these technologies to be able to see across jobs. One of our customers is, we're doing a webinar with them coming up later this month in May. Carl McFarlane, is, he likes to use the example of BlackBerry versus iPhone. There at Kitchell, they have taken a really proactive approach around predictive analytics because they see it as the industry is going through a whole transformation right now. And that by moving to predictive, by using the data that they have, they believe it's like the introduction of the iPhone versus the BlackBerry. Like you, some companies can adapt and compete and others don't. And they want to, they want to be in the the companies that adapt and compete using using that new technology. Josh, you made one really great point there that I'd, I'd like to highlight, and then I'm going to hand it back over to Pat for some in, more insights here. But that stepping back and looking at the transfer from project to project, I think is such an important one to consider. And I've had a lot of conversations recently with customers and other GCs and subs you know, across the industry where we're talking to them about how they leverage data. And when we ask them how they're using insights from one project onto the next. It's not uncommon to hear that they're not necessarily doing that. Of course, they're learning when they're building and our, our industry is incredibly you know, skilled in taking these best practices and lessons learned with them. But from a data perspective, a lot of them aren't leveraging it in a way that would allow them to infer anything that they could apply to a new project. So I love the fact that you bubbled that up. And I think it's an important framework for you know our industry to really start thinking about at a more intentional level, because there are tools that will, you know, facilitate this in a really impactful way. So, Pat, do you have any thoughts here? Like if you were a general contractor who just finally got off a of paper and started digitizing and, you know, rolled out a new platform on their tools and they heard, oh, AI exists in the world and it impacts construction. Like where, where would you start? Yeah, thanks for reminding us that, you know, there are still companies out there who are not fully digitized. And the first thing I would tell any construction company is digitize, digitize, digitize. You will not regret it. And every piece of data you collect today is going to be really valuable to you, not only today, but five years from now and 10 years from now. So that is the, the best advice I would give anybody. And then I would say, if you are using 
platforms that either provide AI or connect to other AI solutions like, you know, Josh just described, don't be afraid of using AI. It is there to make your lives better and it will make your lives better. And by using AI and engaging with products that look at your data, analyze your data, show you your data in new ways that you haven't seen, you will learn more about your data than you can any other way. So just using these tools will make you smarter about your data. It'll help you see problems in your data, which you can start to correct. And it's a virtuous circle because you will be making your data richer. You know, Josh mentioned a customer that, you know, he went back and looked at data from 2003. We had a similar experience looking with a customer 15 years of RFI data. And, you know, I mean, I just sat there and said, like nobody in this room, myself included, 15 years ago, could have possibly imagined what we would be doing today with the RFIs somebody was putting into a system 15 years ago. And I think that's going to be even more true 5, 10, 15 years from now. I think the change in, in what's going to be possible with data that you're collecting today, every year it's going to be exponential growth in what is possible. So yeah, just get in the game, you know, digitize and do not be afraid of AI. You know, if, if AI can, you know, help you automatically create a submittal log that you suspend two weeks doing, and it can do it in a couple of minutes, like why wouldn't you use it? You know, if AI can help recommend the right subcontractors for your job, and reduce your procurement risk, why wouldn't you use it? If AI can prevent one death in your company, oh my God, why wouldn't you use it, right? So yeah, don't be afraid. Like the AI that we're talking about, it's not the Terminator. It's not the evil, you know, we're stealing your identity and we're profiling you and, and you are the product. It, it isn't that. So, you know, go for it. I do hear fairly commonly now that you know, when I ask people like, where should you start with X? Like the, the baseline is just like, start, just, just start. Like, even if it's not incredibly robust because you've gotten that ball rolling at the same time though, of course, I think there should be an intentionality about how you structure some of these things as far as what data you're capturing and you know, how you're doing it and putting standards in place associated with that simply because when you're thinking about your future use case, as best as you're capable of doing in the moment, you're being so much more deliberate about how you're gathering it, which means that you are gathering data that is going to be useful at the end of the day versus, okay, cool, I've got a hard drive or a cloud solution full of stuff. And then you shrug and you close your project out and you hand it over to the owner and move on to the next one. So that that future state of, okay, like, what do I want to learn? What do I want to do? What, what do I want to draw from this? If you think about that, at least a little bit at the beginning of your project, it definitely is going to go a long way into, you know, creating that future state in a much more meaningful way. So Pat, when I last spoke to you about joining us on the show, you mentioned some recent trends associated with insurance cost and construction. Could you share what you've seen in the market? and how leveraging AI and machine learning might help soften these cost increases in the future? Yeah, so I'll speak to part of it and then turn it over to Josh because, you know, we, we've both been in these conversations and Josh has been in them deeply and probably listening to different parts of it. So what I was told by a leading uh, construction insurance executive over dinner one evening after a full day of meetings was design is becoming uninsurable. You know, and I work at Autodesk and we, you know, our, our roots is in design software. So I care about my customers deeply. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? You know, and what he meant by that was construction is very litigious. Everybody knows that. And whenever there's a serious problem after the fact, everybody wants to point fingers, point fingers at somebody else. And if they can say, well, it's ultimately a design flaw or those errors and omissions that I talked about earlier. Talk about the gotcha game, right? And so how do you prove it is or isn't? So that's a huge, scary prospect. So, you know, when I heard that, I just thought like, wow, we have to help our customers like understand those downstream risks and push that understanding all the way up to the design phase so they can avoid those RFIs that are just unanswered questions, which could lead to change orders, which could lead to surprises and unplanned work, which could lead to warranty problems and ultimately a lawsuit. And it's those lawsuits that make things uninsurable, right? Because the economics aren't there. So, you know, I think anything 
AI can do to understand bad outcomes and then trace it back to how do you prevent those bad outcomes. So I look at it from the perspective of design and constructability and RFIs and that through line. And then Josh, of course, has gone deeper than anyone I know on the safety front. So I'll turn it over to Josh to speak to as well. Yeah, it's we do a lot with insurance carriers and brokers because of the importance of safety and in terms of overall loss. And it's a really tough time right now in the insurance market as a whole. Like you'll hear brokers and carriers call it a hard market. Premiums are going up at unprecedented levels quarter over quarter, which is having this effect of really shining the light on the importance of how individual firms can differentiate themselves and get benefit from tech. One of our partners, the carrier AXA Excel, for example, has launched a new product, a new insurance product called HPP or the Highly Protected Project that benefits customers with lower premiums if they use certain technologies like ours on their projects. The whole concept here is that they want to be able to incentivize risk reduction measures and then also at the same time explore the kind of data that's being generated because the ultimate goal would be to move towards being able to understand construction projects just like certain firms can understand on the consumer side, you can understand driving behavior and allow a safe driver discount and that like analogous kind of approach in construction insurance, a safe project discount or a safe project or safe firm discount. Even without that kind of stuff, customers that are using AI or some of ours were able to achieve rate reductions last year, which was really crazy based on the hard market going on by being able to show one better results and two, having data that they could use as a part of their renewal process that documented what they're doing in the area of safety, as well as some other areas of the business and how that was showing improvement over time. So that was used not just on the outcome side, but on the process side, like, hey, look, look at the data we're gathering. Look at how many more observations we have than others comparable firms do. Look at how we're benchmarking ourselves. And that that helped them get a decrease. And at the very least, we're seeing folks not have rate increases that are as steep as their peers because of not just the better outcomes, but the ability to document a risk-reducing process through data. It's so interesting to hear that because it, it kind of brings everything full circle. Like on one hand, you've got these technologies that are, you know, simply helping builders build more effectively. But on the other hand, of course, there there's this really compelling business case now that isn't quite as tied to the building portion, but still is a tremendous cost impact for all these different organizations. So like if you can leverage these tools and say, okay, like my insurance rates went down by this tremendous amount because of this, like that definitely has value. And, you know, for the, the champions at your organizations, if you're listening, it seems like another, you know, thing to, to bring to the table and you go, okay, cool. Our projects are better here, but we know the, the finance team is super concerned about this right here. And here's a potential path to, you know, reduce that. So it's, it's worth being mindful of. And I know we covered the power of predictive analytics earlier in the episode, but I wanted to see what this aspect of construction tech might look like as we further develop AI and ML in the construction industry. Like, I think this is one of the more common terms we hear tied to construction, like predictive analytics, predictive analytics. And it might be useful to also just like define that a little bit more clearly as well for our listeners. Josh, could you take a stab at that? Yeah, sure. I'm happy to. Yeah. And it's really good tie-in and segue from insurance, right? Because it's ultimately we're trying to understand and predict risk and better respond to it. I mean, the definition of when I think about predictive analytics, it's about making this data actionable to use that analogy that I just sort of made up on the fly before. It's about not drowning in the data. It's using it to help you guide you to some predictions, which I would define as in the context of construction, which jobs are most at risk? So where do I focus my attention? But then go beyond that to prescriptions. So how and what should I do to reduce that risk. So just knowing where the risk is, is really just the start. You need to know what to do about it. One concept here that's key, we talked about this in passing before, is that even small amount of predictive power has huge benefits over time. It compounds over time. One of our customers actually, that's really leading edge in terms of how they use data as a large construction firm, they just had their entire executive team read a book called The Man Who Solved the Market. And the reason they had their whole exec team, including you know every, across the board, the ops team, everybody, have them read this book is that it made the point that even if you can get a 1% benefit over your competition in terms of your outcomes and your predictability, it compounds to a market shifting advantage over just a short time. And it, it takes an example of a trader, the Wall Street trader who basically was able to try and figure out how to try and how to 
better predict market outcomes. So in the area of safety, we're kind of going to the extreme here where it's not a 1% difference. We're able to identify for the top 20% of projects where 80% of the incidents will be happening in a given week. Now, this is some rough numbers here because it's it's kind of interesting from a business standpoint. It's the Pareto principle being applied to construction, the classic 80-20 rule. But if you can say these 20 jobs, if you have 100 jobs, these 20 jobs are going to have 80% of my incidents next week, that helps you focus your attention and helps you ultimately reduce your risk over time. The other piece around predictive that pops out, and I know Pat has seen this as well, like we were talking about RFIs and RFI rates, and it's not just about predicting in a given week. There's actually these new rules of thumb that appear, and some of them are counterintuitive. So we've analyzed now over 700 years and counting, so like over seven centuries of construction incident data. And there's a whole bunch of these rules of thumbs that pop out. I'm not going to go through all of them, just, just a couple of them. One of them is there's a common thought that if you have an incident, your job the next week will be safer. So you have an incident one week, next week, everybody's focused, your risk drops. What folks don't realize is that you're three to 10 times more likely and with an average of six times more likely to have an incident in the two to three weeks after an incident. And it's completely counterintuitive. People don't realize that. It's actually a, one of the key predictor of risk. Then there's all sorts of other stuff that pops out. This goes back to getting more data across the silos, You know that 96% of data not being used more than once. Well, if you can get stuff like manpower data, we found things like target ratios for supervisory personnel to craft workers actually drive safety. It tells you if you're out over your skis, so to speak, in terms of job mobilization. There's a clear level for every company at which that ratio of supervisory personnel to craft is indicative of higher risk for an incident the following week. And you see that just pop out of the models right away. So predictive, it has a potential to be a game changer for construction. Just like as Pat said, it's changing whole bunch of other industries. And we're excited to be at that tipping point now where the data are there, we can get at it, and we can start combining it to give these insights to our customers. You know, I think you've made it so clear that like predictive analytics in particular is is not a buzzword. And I think a lot of people feel that way because it does come up in so many different ways and it's it's become such a common theme. But like, I feel silly saying this, but like, wow, like just, just wow. Like I feel like I'm Owen Wilson over here just wowing out into space because you can do just so much impactful work to, you know, keep your job safe and, you know, help out your customers. And, and I'm, I'm learning a lot here. So thank you so much for sharing this. But well, I know we're running towards the end of the episode and I'd really like to hear what each of you are most excited about when it comes to construction technology. And we can cast this net as wide as we want. It doesn't have to be focused specifically on AI, but is there anything on the horizon right now that you're geeking out about that you'd like to share with our listeners? Pat, how about you go first? Yeah, so I just, as I said at the beginning, I've been in technology a long time. I've seen a lot of disruptive changes. I've never been more interested and more excited about any technology shift as I am about the potential for AI and machine learning to make our lives better. So I think it's it's sort of the culmination of every disruptive technology that came ahead of it, right? So what I get really excited about is there's kind of like a very interesting dichotomy right now where people either think, oh, it's science fiction, it's crazy, or they expect AI to do everything. And until it does everything, it's, it's not good enough. So I get excited about thinking that every problem we solve, everything Josh just talked about wasn't possible just three years ago, right? And so, you know, Josh and I have been uh, working along, you know, in parallel with each other for a long time and checking in all the, all the time. And, you know, the progress he and his company have made over the last, you know, three to five years is awesome. So I think we're solving a lot of great problems today, but I think what's so exciting is we're going to keep getting better. And then eventually it's going to all get connected and contextualized. And what I mean by that is like, imagine when we can connect, you know, safety outcomes with quality outcomes, with financial outcomes, and really get a holistic picture because, you know, we're all like looking at different pieces of the puzzle. But when you can connect all of those dots, we're going to learn even more. I think it's going to be exponential. And by contextualized, I mean, you know, back to a little bit of the minority report, right? Like you should be able to walk into a construction job site in a very augmented reality way, have everything you need to know about that job site appear to you, you know, and you should be able to see, you know, hey, are there any safety hazards and have them highlighted, you know, in your augmented reality. You should be able to see the risks right in front of you pop up. You should be able to, you know, have little buzzers tell you what to do. It should become very ambient 
and very contextualized and it will just be like air. It will be everywhere and we can focus on the things that we're trying to do, like build a really awesome building as efficiently and on time and on budget as possible, or, you know, pick whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish in the world. That's what gets me excited. Pat, I think I'm going to have to get on eBay and order you a, a pair of Google Glass or something so we can get that <laughs> augmented reality, you know, set up for you sooner rather than later. <laughs> I love what you're explaining, though. It's it's such a an, an awesomely aspirational, like, look to the future, but I don't think it's, it's an outrageous one by any means. If you look, like you were saying, at construction technology in the last three to five years, we have this crazy hockey stick trajectory upward of innovation and in software tools and things available to us. When I stepped into the AEC world about a decade ago, I was working for a federal contractor and we were still submitting 18 to 20 binders of paper for every RFP response we did. And it was a nightmare. I was like, give me 20 CDs of X. It's like, really? And I was just catching up with a friend of mine who's still working as a proposal manager in the federal world. And I asked him actually, I was like, are you still shipping massive boxes of paper to contracting officers for them to ignore for two months before they, you know, jump into the evaluation process? And he said about 90 to 95% now our electronic submission, which made me really happy to see because it was a painful process for so many reasons that I don't want to unveil here because it'll just break my brain. But anyway, I'm, I'm sidetracked here. Josh, how about you? What uh, what are you geeking out about right now as you look to the future of construction technology? Yeah, I, I agree with Pat's context and contextualization and connection concept. I think it ties back to predictive. There's all these new sources of data. How do we continue to connect them to help improve and impact predictability and understand what features of these models can drive it, whether it's visual AI or stuff coming up through NLP, which is understanding words, all that stuff is really, really exciting. I guess I could say my brain is in the data, but my feet are still in the field in construction. So I'm always thinking about reality capture and I'm just blown away with the amount of tech that's now being jammed into mobile phones. <laughs> you know, like they have LiDAR scanners shipping on them now. It's like crazy. So that's an area, you know, that reality capture and that whole world 360 image capture and what that generates in terms of visual data that we can analyze is that's just can continue to explode. Yeah, the, the devices we have now are an absolute game changer. I mean, before the iPad rolled out, the idea of digitizing plans in a way that would actually be usable in the field was you know kind of hilarious because it just wasn't tenable and it wasn't something you could convince superintendents to even consider. All right, so we're rolling to the end of our show now. And of course, we've got one final question that our listeners are very familiar with. And it's one of my favorite parts of the discussion. So what is one tool you will always carry in your toolbox, no matter what type of project you're working on? Josh, how about you kick this one off for us? Sure, sure. Well, in the physical world, my favorite tool is Vice Grip pliers. I always find a reason to use a Vice Grip, even probably for things it's not supposed to be used for. In the digital world, I'm addicted to, and this is nothing crazy, but the Google Suite products, you know, Google Sheets, Google Docs, everybody collaborates at the same time. I just can't go back to Microsoft Office. It's top of mind for me because there's some Twitter meme going on right now about Gen Z doesn't even know what Microsoft Office is and... I think Gen X knows what it is and doesn't want to use it. So those would be my two. I love both of those answers. The Vice Grips one is good. When I was a kid, my dad would always get mad because I'd steal his because they're so fun to play with because they've got the janky functionality. And I think I've got like six sets in my, my toolbox of varying sizes. They lock, the... lock, unlock. It's very satisfying. <laughs> yeah, there's that clicking. It's like a button thing, but amplified tenfold. And I appreciate your Microsoft Office and G Suite reference here. I remember when I was still doing the proposal stuff back in the day to, to bring that hat back out again. When we were doing that, we would email Word docs back and forth or at the same time, if my project team hated me, they would all work in their own Word doc and then send them to me to combine into one. And it was the most painful thing I think I've ever experienced in my entire life. And it just broke my brain. And to, to try to go back to that model is just such a baffling thing to, to think about. I know Microsoft is trying really hard, but I also prefer the, the Google suite and my former startup life uh, agrees with you. So Pat, how about you? What's one tool that you will always carry in your toolbox, no matter what project you're working on? Well, I'll riff off Josh and start with a, you know, an actual tool. So my daughter is graduating college shortly and being the pragmatic mom that I am, I think, what does she need for her, you know, house? She needs her own little toolkit. And so I went out to do research. Like if I get her one, like what, what is the most basic toolkit? And I'm pleased to say that people are still innovating around tools. So I found this crescent wrench 
which has an ultra wide opening, but it's one wrench. So it gives you a lot of different size options in one tool. So I thought that was really awesome. And I love that people are still innovating around something like a crescent wrench. So well done channel lock. Okay. Then <laughs> the digital tool, you know, I mean, it's probably not very creative, but like for me, it's the iPhone. I couldn't live without it. And yeah, when I found out the 12 Pro now has LiDAR, I'm like, okay, wow. Like that's a game changer. You know, I think the iPhone changed the game, the iPhone and then the iPad 12 years ago in construction. And I think it opened up so much of what we talked about today because it made it possible to capture data in the field. And I know Josh's company pivoted quickly to the iPad, a smart move. And I think the iPhone is still going strong and they continue to do crazy innovative stuff like LiDAR. And I am just starting to think of what are we going to be able to do with that? I'm really excited about their little thing they just launched around finding objects. And I don't know how it works yet, but I think maybe there's a local GPS solution in there somewhere, Josh, you know, so that will help us with the contextualization problem. Totally, yeah. So I just love the iPhone and I love the, that it's a platform and I love that they just are relentlessly innovating still. It's all cool stuff. I, uh, I had an iPhone for a while, although I pivoted to Android because I like some of the functionality that they have. And I've been eyeballing Samsung's new S21 because their camera seems to be able to zoom to the moon with high quality picture. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. But all these tools are just so interesting. So I appreciate you sharing you know, both of them with our listeners. So do either of you have anything that you'd like to plug that our listeners should know about? Pat, you want to go first? Yeah, sure. So at the end of the day, I'm a product manager at Autodesk. So this is the shameless, you know, plug for Autodesk products. Again, around digitizing in the platform, the Autodesk Construction Cloud has such a breadth of functionality from design to pre-construction through construction to handover and, you know, out to operations that if you're not digitizing or you're not digitizing as much as you could be, please do for your own good. And, you know, of course I have a bias there. <laughs> in terms of applying AI, I think there's three areas that I would encourage everybody to start using today in our products if you're not. You know, one is for bidding. Building Connected does a great job of doing recommendations around subcontractors and it just takes procurement and bidding to a whole nother level and it will continue to do that and apply intelligence. So something you can take advantage of today. A recent acquisition we did was Pipe. I think, you know, Pipe has done a spectacular job of taking a tedious task of creating submittal logs, which is a necessary part of most large projects, and taking something that used to be, you know, a, a job that took people weeks to do and it wasn't fun, and they automated it and made it happen in minutes. So if you are creating submittal logs and you're not using Pipe, do yourself a favor, check it out. And then, of course, Construction IQ is now available both in BIM 360 and in Autodesk Build. And that's a product that just ambiently, as you're collecting data, We'll be consistently analyzing it and surfacing things like what are your highest risk issues, telling you root causes of RFIs, understanding some of the safety things from an NLP perspective to complement what Josh does. And of course, finally, Autodesk, we're, we're a platform company, so we don't believe, never have, that we can do everything for everyone. And so, you know, with the Forge platform and with, you know, great partners like Josh and SmartVid and many others, you can leverage a lot of really smart AI tools through our platform as well. Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of cool stuff going on and a lot of ways to, you know, jump into the game with the different tools that we offer. So, you know, thanks for, for sharing that. And Josh, how about you? Anything that you would like to plug for our listeners that they should know about? Yeah, yeah. They should just come to our website, smartvid.io. It's not just our name. It's our the URL for our website, Smart vid.io and we've got their way to sign up for a webinar we've got coming up here towards the end of may well, the webinar itself live or the recording if you hear this after may with our new customer kitchell who are deploying predictive analytics across the enterprise using the SmartVid platform to analyze their structured data all the different types we talked about before plus also where they have it they're bringing in visual data you don't need it on every job it can just be used if it's there plus there's all kinds of case studies that go into more depth on on how to make AI work for your company. All right. And I know we've covered, you know, every single nuance of AI and machine learning. So there surely would never be any questions. But, you know, should one come up if our listeners have any? Are there any good ways that they can reach out to you to ask them? Pat, how about you go? Yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn. Just look for Pat Keeney. I'm working at Autodesk. So I think I'm the only Pat Keeney out there working at Autodesk. And then on Twitter, my Twitter is Pat Keeney. So yeah, happy to connect with anybody who's 
who's interested in talking more. Awesome. How about you, Josh? Yeah, same here. I'm Josh Canner, the only one working at SmartVid on, uh, <laughs> on LinkedIn. And I'm jcanner1 on Twitter. Feel free to reach out on LinkedIn. I look at that pretty carefully. Awesome. I don't think I follow either of you with my digital builder account, so I'm going to have to remedy after this conversation. But all right, everybody. So thanks so much for taking the time to join us on this episode of Digital Builder. As always, if you want to reach out to me with any questions or want to appear on an episode, you can find me on LinkedIn or via Twitter at builder underscore digital. Also, make sure to check out our new homepage by visiting construction.autodesk.com forward slash podcast. There you can sign up for our biweekly newsletter and even suggest show topics or guest ideas. And finally, please like, subscribe to, or share this episode if you enjoyed it. It really helps out my team when you do that, so I'd really appreciate it. And on that final note, goodbye. You've been listening to Digital Builder. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves, and then you're done. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.